Welcome back to the Funding University Podcast. I am your host, Seth Block. Joining me today is Alan Gibble of Utica Leasco. Alan is an expert in equipment-based lending and is one of the most experienced collateral lenders in the U.S. On the podcast, Alan and I discuss equipment and collateral-based lending, including the kind of equipment preferred by lenders. We also discuss the devaluation of used equipment as collateral, and we go into best practices and how leveraging the value of equipment can help you achieve your business goals. We wrap up by looking at what lenders are looking for when evaluating equipment and collateral for their loans. So with that, let's get started. Alan, good morning. Welcome to the podcast. Good morning, Seth. Great to have you here. Um, I really want to kind of get into equipment lending and even what, what you're doing at Utica. But before, before we do that, why don't you tell our audience a little bit about you? Where did you grow up, go to school, early career, that kind of stuff? Happy to be here and uh, yeah, happy to give you a little bit of background. So uh, yeah, born at a young age, uh, um, started out uh, as a banker way back in my lending career. Um, so just out of uh, college, got a degree in uh, business finance and uh, thought I wanted to be a banker. So started out as a credit analyst, did that for a number of years. And uh, after grinding spreadsheets and sitting in a cubicle for hours on end, I decided that wasn't uh, the path for me. So I ended up actually leaving banking for a while and then ended up selling some product and technology to the community banks throughout the uh, the West Coast. So I've been a vendor to the banks and I had been inside the bank. And then uh, after doing that for a while, I decided to get back into the, the lending racket, uh, picked up with a non-bank finance company doing asset-based financing. So uh, used my credit skills, obviously, to make that transition. And what drew you to, I mean, for lack of a better term, non-bank or alternative lending? Good question. And, you know, for me, it was really just a function of do I want to be a commodity banker or do I want to do something where I felt like I could do something that was a little bit unique and maybe add a little bit more value to the, you know, the lending proposition? Super. Okay. So today uh, you're mainly focused on equipment lending. Is that a, is that a fair assessment? hundred uh, percent. Great. So let's talk about that. Uh, why don't we just start up talking about how equipment lending works in general? So it's interesting because I bring a slightly different uh, flavor to the equipment finance world. So in general, you know, it's for a general asset lender. I think it's very similar to any kind of bank or credit product. Um, obviously, for equipment lenders, they look at collateral, cash flow, credit, uh, the ability to repay. Uh, which is a little bit unique relative to what we do because we really drill down and focus in on collateral as the key to getting a transaction uh, funded. So a little bit different from a direct perspective here at Utica, but in general, I think the equipment lenders look at very much the same criteria that a normal finance lender would look at. Okay. And we're going to talk about equipment lending, but just 
to to peel away any confusion. Can you just real quickly tell our listeners what the difference between an, an equipment loan and an equipment lease is? In broad terms, a, a, a true lease or an equipment lease is where the lessor, the funding source, will actually take ownership to the asset that is being utilized by the lessee, the end user. So essentially, it's, it's a, a rental arrangement where the lessor has the advantage of taking the depreciation on the asset and the lessee has the benefit of using the equipment or the asset, um, but doesn't necessarily own the asset. So the advantage of an equipment loan over an equipment lease, and I know there's a way to do equipment leases where ownership still stays with uh, the customer, but in general, you could say that the, the main difference is, is where ownership of that asset lies. Yeah, I think that's fair. Okay. Um, so, uh, it's my understanding, you can correct me if I'm wrong, that uh, on equipment lending, not entirely at the end of the day, but a big part of the evaluation process is the collateral you're looking at. So let's talk about that real quick. How do you evaluate equipment that a company owns? So there's, you're asking essentially two questions really in one. What one is on a new purchase versus a refinance or existing equipment. So if it's a refinance transaction, the value is based upon an appraisal to that equipment. Now on a small transaction, the lessor, the funding source might just simply look at the credit score or the credit capacity of the end user. But in general, um, leasing companies or finance companies, for that matter, want to know what the value of the existing equipment is. And you do that through a third-party appraisal. Okay. Um, give me an idea. What There's some equipment that that equipment lenders like, and, there's, uh, and we can talk a minute about what they don't like. But in general, what would you say are the most common types of equipment lenders like to lend against? So you drive around, you see trucks and trailers out on the road, you see construction equipment, uh, yellow iron. Um, general use assets are the easiest assets for a lender to use as collateral because there is a very robust secondary market in the event of failure in the transaction. So the more commonly used the, equi the equipment is in the marketplace, the more likely it is that the lender or lessor will be excited about holding that asset as collateral for a transaction. Okay. Uh, so conversely, what kind of equipment have you found is very hard to lend against? So as an example, highly specialized equipment uh, used in the life sciences uh, space, as an example, um, super technical equipment with a very limited marketplace in general will generally have a infinitely smaller resale market. So Assets that have a very small resale potential are pretty unattractive to hold as collateral because at the end of the day, what are you going to do with the collateral in the event of failure? Got it. And, and to that point, I would think that equipment that is very technology-based and that technology is, is fast-changing would also be very difficult to lend against. Interesting that you bring that up. So, you know, for example, there are specialty lenders that will lend against IT assets, servers, and 
uh, data storage equipment, they will finance new purchases. But uh, to your point, the obsolescence because of faster, better machines, they will not finance used equipment. So they'll gladly finance new purchases, um, even though they know that that asset will become obsolete very quickly. But if you were to ask that same lender to finance a used piece of equipment that fits that category, they won't touch it. Got it. So you brought up earlier, and and I want to kind of circle back to it real quick. Uh, the I you know this concept of appraisals. First off, do all equipment loans require an appraisal? So on a new purchase, and if it's a general use asset, no. Uh, because once again, it's a commonly used piece of equipment and the dealer invoice will be used as the basis to create an advance on that purchase. Okay. Uh, let's assume that we're dealing with uh, a company that's got a lot of equipment uh, and the equipment's you know a couple of years old here and there. Uh, and you and you determine that there's going to be an appraisal. How does how does that appraisal work? What happens next? So generally what happens is the funding source will gather up the schedule of assets that will ultimately be appraised. They'll get with one of their appraisal partners. And from my experience, you'll typically have a stable or a bullpen of appraisers and you'll get a bid uh, from your bullpen of appraisers. And it's a competitive marketplace. So obviously you're going to hand it out to the appraiser that is available. Uh, so speed is important uh, to get a transaction done. But then obviously you're going to you know, keep everybody honest by making sure that you're um, getting the right price on the appraisal. So then you have, you have uh, shared the equipment list with the appraiser and then you schedule the appraisal process. And then you generally do a handoff to the end user so that you can have the appraiser coordinate directly with the borrower lessee so that they can uh, manage you know, the site visit to go out and physically inspect the equipment. Okay. And and you mentioned a site visit. Is that always the case or can they sometimes do an appraisal? I, I think I've heard the term desk appraisal before. Yeah. So the site visit is important, uh, but not 100% mandatory. So for example, in the case of like trucks and trailers or mobile assets, pretty difficult for the appraiser to actually physically review all the assets that are going to be part of a transaction. So a desktop appraisal could come into play. Um, pictures of equipment could come on into play. So there's a number of ways in which to manage the logistics associated with an inspection. But a desktop would be sort of a, a high level, not as detailed of an appraisal process. And in the event of failure, probably not as reliable as a physical inspection, but some lenders will defer to a desktop to speed up the process and you know maybe reduce the costs associated with the appraisal process. Yeah, I would also think there's there's a little bit of a comfort level when you when you send an appraiser out there because they're physically seeing the assets and making sure they're working and, and all that good stuff. I, yeah, I think that's fair. And, you know, I would assume that, you know, a, a, an investment grade credit, as an example, where the potential for default is minimal, you can forego 
part of that appraisal process and, and defer to a desktop because the likelihood of failure or the likelihood of relying on the collateral to pay off your obligation is probably minimal. Mm -hmm. So for a strong credit, you're more likely to flex on desktop versus physical inspection. Understood. Um, and this is, well, it's somewhat collateral based question, and we're going to talk about structure in a little bit, but what if you have a company that you're looking to, they've got a lot of equipment, but uh, you realize that that they have financed some of the other equipment or some of that equipment, and there's liens on that equipment. Uh, how do you work around that? So for our platform, it would be pretty simple. Um, just leave those assets behind with the current lenders and create a schedule or a pool of the unencumbered assets. Gotcha. Um, so in other words, we can coexist with other funding sources as part of a transaction. Okay. One last question on that topic that just popped in my head. Um, have you ever run into a situation where you're looking at a company that got a lot of equipment, they got a few equipment leases or equipment loans already out there on specific equipment, but the lender has overreached on their UCC filing. And what I mean by that is they have filed a lien maybe a, a, against all assets of the company. You ever run into that? Certainly. Um, with working capital lenders or banks in general, they'll do a broad form or a blanket filing. Um, and then ultimately, it comes down to their willingness to allow another funding source to enter into a transaction. Or if not, then, you know, that's somewhat of a hard stop. That's a dead end to funding a transaction. Yep. Okay, very good. Um, let's talk a little bit about you, you, you've met with a client or you've talked to a client, or I should say a prospective client. Uh, there's a strong interest. Uh, you've sent them a term sheet. They've signed your term sheet. Uh, and now uh, you're going to start your due, due diligence process. What, what is something a company should do to prepare themselves even before you, you, know, you guys get out there uh, for this process? I think just like with anything in life, the better prepared the borrower is to get a transaction across the finish line, the better it is for all parties. So they should have you know, their corporate formation documents ready to go. They should have proof of insurance ready to go. They should be able to demonstrate, particularly in a refinance transaction, that they can demonstrate proof of ownership on the equipment. So just having, you know, all the common sense information available is going to speed up and smooth out the process. Gotcha. Okay. And Let's say that uh, you're going through the due diligence, everything looks good. Uh, you're you're getting to the point where you know you're going to go to contracts, and and I'm not asking you to tell me exactly how Utica does it, but in general, what you've seen out there, how are these equipment loans structured? And I, and I don't want you to quote price because I know that's all over the place. Uh, but you know, just kind of how the deal is structured, and you know the length of the deal, you know that type of information. So not a lot of bandwidth in the refinance marketplace. Uh, generally, what you're looking at is in a refinance transaction equipment that might already be two, three years old. And so in a refinance transaction, 
generally you're going to cap the amortization or the length of the arrangement to anywhere between four and five years old or four to five years on the amortization. Um, new purchases, you know, once again, based on credit quality, if you've got a, a bankable or a pristine borrower with significant cash flow, strong balance sheet and good outside net worth, lenders or lessors might be, you know, more likely to extend the amortization on a new purchase for a longer period of time because there's less credit risk in the transaction. But conversely, the more risk there is, the shorter the duration of the instrument. Um, but in a refinance transaction, going back to uh, what I stated before, you're typically going to cap that exposure because you've already got assets that are already several years old in a refinance transaction. Gotcha. And you mentioned uh, credit. Um, on equipment loans, how, how significant of a role does a company's credit play in this transaction? So are you asking specific to my product or in the marketplace in general? Let's talk about the marketplace in general. I, I do want to spend some time talking about your product, but for right now, let's just talk about the marketplace in general. And of course, you know, it's it's June of 2023. So, you know, credit markets have tightened up, I think, uh, across the board for traditional lenders. Um, but the credit and the cash flow for a traditional funding source, whether it's a bank or a non-bank funding source, the credit and the cash flow are going to be important because that's generally how the lessor gets repaid. Mm -hmm. um, whereas collateral lenders like ourselves, we're less reliant on cash flow and more reliant on the collateral. So there's really, you know, multiple sides to the marketplace in terms of how they approach a transaction. But uh, I, I think for traditional funding sources, it, it just goes back to the the five C's of credit, the seven C's of credit. It's just credit fundamentals to uh, get a transaction uh, across the finish line. Gotcha. Do um, do you see most equipment lenders requiring a personal guarantee on equipment loans? Yeah, I think that's across the market, depending upon you know ownership and uh, public company. Any private company, but yeah, in general, the preference is to have a personal guarantee. Okay. And you may or may not be able to answer this question about the general marketplace. And, and if you want to just answer it based on how you guys work, that's great. But the process, how long does it typically take? And let's let's kind of mark it from the time you start talking term sheet to the time uh that term sheet gets executed, due diligence is done, contracts are issued. And you actually end up funding. What, what is a typical time frame? So on a used refinance transaction, you're always going to need to throw an appraisal process in, as we discussed mm -hmm. earlier. That process is going to add anywhere from two to three weeks to a close. New purchases, obviously, if it's general use equipment, you don't need an appraisal. So you can obviously take that part that piece out of the equation. So uh, generally, it's 30 days, 45 days uh, in a transaction, depending upon whether it's a refinance or a new purchase. Great. Okay. So um, let's let's shift gears now a little bit and let's talk about um, how is Utica different from other equipment lenders? So as mentioned, uh, we're very much collateral focused. So our core product, I call it Utica Classic, uh, 
back in the day, we were just going out, evaluating the value of the equipment. And, and it was a pretty much a hard stop at that point to get to a close. So if there was enough value in the collateral, uh, barring any nefarious, uh, you know, issues for the stakeholders in a transaction, we were typically ready to go to fund a transaction simply based upon collateral values. We've broadened that view to, particularly in this credit environment or this economic uh, stage of the cycle, where we're now looking at a little bit of financial information. So it's still collateral focused. So can we get out of the deal in the event of failure? Um, that's where the appraisal process becomes key. Uh, but that being said, we are also now looking at opening liquidity to make sure that we understand that the borrower or the lessee has the capacity to at least survive for a period of time, and hopefully they get stronger over the course of time. But we want to make sure that we're not liquidating collateral um, the day after we fund a transaction. That makes sense. Um, are you seeing an, an uptick in, in companies having problems right now? I think that banks are starting to put a little bit more pressure on their problem assets. I think they're starting to evaluate their portfolios where over the last couple of years, and a lot of it had to do with the pandemic, um, where they really didn't have any pressure from the regulators to go through their portfolios. But I think that's starting to happen. So subsequently, yeah, I think there is more opportunities starting to uh, you know, hit the street where the banks are asking um, non-performing or underperforming borrowers to seek alternatives. Cool. Okay. Well, as as we wrap up, um, where do you see the equipment lending industry going in the future? Are you optimistic or or you have concerns? Well, you know, we see a lot of transactions that are coming through. I guess you know robo credit underwriting, you know, AI, I guess, you know, generated uh, credit mm -hmm. um, that I don't really think uh, steps into the end of the market that we play in. But certainly on the smaller ticket end of the market, there's a significant amount of um, credit driven lending, application only lending, which is a completely different category, mm -hmm. but it still intersects with the equipment finance world. So it just depends on which segment of the market you're serving, but I definitely see things becoming more competitive. Um, you know, we've got MCA transactions that are evolving and becoming a little bit more robust in terms of their reach. So yeah, I, I think markets are continuously changing, um, but at our end of the market, I don't see a massive shift in, in market. Uh, it's really driven by economic condition. Yeah, it, you know, it's funny you, you mentioned MCAs, and, and that's a whole other podcast to talk about the the impact of MCAs on the lending industry. Um, but in my mind, in general, particularly with what you guys do, a company's going to be they're going to get a much better uh, funding possibility by you know leveraging that asset that they already own or that they're acquiring. Uh, they're going to get it on longer terms. They're going to get it at a better rate. Uh, and, and I think from a business standpoint, it makes a lot of sense. Um, and it also, a company can figure out how to do it and be prepared to do it over and over again. Uh, it really makes them scalable. They can really grow a business using a product like yours. Uh, 
that that's my observation. No, I, I agree. I, you know, for our product and platform, we are an alternative in a set of circumstances that would prevent a borrower or prospect from obtaining financing from other sources or any source whatsoever. So we'll step in when there's limited access to capital and you could go get equity capital or you could take down some debt financing or lease financing from an organization like ours. Super. Well, hey, listen, we're out of time, Alan, but I really wanted to thank you for, for coming on the podcast today. And it's it's been a real pleasure and hope to do it again in the future. Thanks for having me, Seth. Anytime.